Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, Rewarded, is the fourth in our series called All Things New, with the conversation being led by our special guest, Khalil Sayeh. Specifically today, we're going to continue our engagement with this series that we're in called All Things New. Now, many of you know that throughout this series, we've had the amazing privilege of having different guests and friends in our wider Ethnos family, our wider Ethnos network. Last week, you got to hear from Carlos and Crisol from our San Diego site. How many of you were encouraged by Carlos and Crisol, by the way? Yeah, yeah, or clap a hand. Some of you are clapping, like, clap a hand. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing time with them. And a number of you got to know them personally afterwards. Well, today, um, we continue to have the amazing privilege of spending time together with the wider family that we're a part of. And I want to invite up a very, very special friend, Khalil. Uh, Khalil, why don't you come on up? Can we give Khalil a hand real quick? He's going to share a little bit more about uh, who he is and what he's about. Um, But Khalil and I, uh, we met uh, last year in Palestine, in the West Bank, Specifically, I believe it was the city of Bethlehem, yes? Yeah, and um, I was invited along with about uh, 14, 15 other leaders to learn about reconciliation and peace in the region of Israel-Palestine. We had an opportunity, about 15 of us, to sit down with the main peace negotiators on the Israeli side, Israeli generals. We sat down with PLO leaders. Uh, We... We're in um, the West Bank uh, with people like Khalil. And as we met with a number of politicians, activists, leaders, pastors, there was something honestly very, very unique about Khalil and his story and who he was. And I got to say what, you know, again, we met with many, many different people, but that moment when we were in a kind of undisclosed location meeting with Khalil all of us were profoundly impacted by who God was making Khalil to be. And so I am just so happy that Khalil happened to be in town. This is his first time in the United States. Uh, To get to the United States, if you're Palestinian, you can't fly out of Tel Aviv. You have to go through Jordan and get here. He'll tell you all the details of how, why it's so crazy. You can probably guess uh, because of the issue of terrorism that many Americans are afraid of. And so uh, it is just an honor and privileged to have Khalil here with us today to share about who he is, his journey, and his call from God to make all things new uh, in our world today. So give it up for Khalil again. Um, Khalil, tell us who you are here. First of all, it's a privilege to be among you, and if you don't understand my Palestinian accent, please stop me and ask me any question you have. I know my English is not perfect, so thank you for handling this. Yeah, so my name is Khalil, as uh, Yohkan, my brother Yohkan mentioned. I'm a Palestinian Christian. I was, I don't know if you are familiar with Palestine. It's a um, country, or actually we are hoping to be a country, not yet independence, and located in the Middle East. And uh, if you are familiar with its geography, it's separated to two parts, actually. There is the big part of it, which is 
yeah. Next yeah, so in Israel and inside Israel, there is Palestine. It's yeah. complicated, actually. You can show the next slide. And if you are not familiar with the geography of Palestine, it's like two big parts. There is the, there is the big part, which is there, the West Bank. It's right in the West Bank. And there is the other part, which is Gaza. And then the middle, right in the middle, there is Israel. So it's geography unconnected. So I came from the part, which is Gaza City. And I moved to live in the West Bank. So there is also two governments in Palestinian territories. There is the government in, in Gaza, which is more in conservative Islamic uh, organization, Hamas, or according to the, what, how the American government looked to it, it's considered a terrorist organization. And there is the BLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization that controlled more liberal, that controlled the West Bank. So I was born and raised in a family, Christian family in Gaza Strip. And since my childhood, I was known, I know myself, I'm a Palestinian, but at the same time, I know I'm a, I'm a Christian. But the truth is, I never understood as a child what it means to be a Christian, or I never understand what, what Christian lives look like. But since my childhood, attending a an, an school that it's all filled with Muslims, I was really persecuted by people because just I'm a Christian. So I remember going to the school, the student, I was just six years old, the student would come and make fun of me just because I'm a Christian. I remember my first shock was when I was six years old and children would come to me at the school and make the mark of the cross like this and start to spit on it. So I, I really didn't understand what the difference between a Christian or Muslim or whatever. And then I just learned all the time that I want to deny that I'm a Christian. I really don't want people to know I'm a Christian because it's such a shame. People are making fun of me. And the truth is, my name is Khalil and my family name is Saigh. So when I say Khalil Saigh, nobody recognizes I'm a Christian. So I always say it like this way. But you know, if you, are, if you are familiar with the Middle East, in the Middle East you have to say not just your name and your family name, but your father name. And my father's name is Jirius, so I go like Khalil Jirius Asayg, and everybody would know that I'm a Christian. So it was such a shameful thing for me, my father's name. So at the, at, in 2006, something dramatically happened that changed my life in Gaza, which is the Hamas, or the Hamas, the Islamic movement, took control over Gaza. So before this, it was the Palestinian Authority who are taking control of Gaza. And at this part, at this time, Hamas took control over Gaza. So this, why this has changed my life? Because before this, as I said, I was kind of persecuted sometimes by, by some Muslim student. It wasn't like something organized by the government, but at that part of, of, of time, it became more systematically, even from the government itself, it became more radical Islamic government, that even the teachers in the school became Hamas members, everything in, in Gaza became controlled by Hamas, and at that part of my life, I, I felt more persecuted. So, and all, also, if you are familiar with Gaza, also there is the Israeli siege, so we cannot go out of Gaza or we cannot come into Gaza because Israeli making a siege on Gaza because Hamas also controlled Gaza. So, even into to move from Gaza, which is in the Palestinian territories, to the, uh, to the West Bank, which is Palestinian territories, you need a special permit from Israel, which is kind of impossible to get it. So I found myself stuck there. There were 2008 war, like 2,000 Palestinians get killed. It was crazy. But I've, and I felt like, really, I want to leave Gaza. I'm really tired of this. I'm not just persecuted as a Palestinian. It's not just airstrike and war there, but also persecuted because I'm a Christian. And Christian in whole of Palestine are less than 1%. And in Gaza, there are 1,000 among 2 million Muslims. So imagine, you are nothing there. 
So in 2009, I get Berman to stay one week in, in the West Bank, and I've decided to myself, God, I'm just going to stay in the West Bank, and I, I asked my family to do it. My family, of course, refused because I was just only 15 years old, and how are you going to like make it by yourself to a new city? Or for them, it's even a new country, even though it's the same country, but within this separation, it's easier to come to the state than actually to go from Gaza to the West Bank sometimes. So how are you going to do it? I said, I, I will do it. I'm really tired. I ended up running from my family and just sleeping in the street and starting in a whole new life in, in Ramallah, the, the city in the West Bank. You can see it there. So why, why I'm saying this story? Because it's really changed my life. I, after this, I, I became really like just away from everything. I didn't like have any moral standards. I didn't have anything. I just became totally into alcohol, drugs, everything, and I became really lost. And this part of my life, my family disowned me, everybody didn't like to talk to me. And then after two years, I really found people who shared Jesus with me. And I invited Jesus to my life, and my life was changed. And when my life was changed, the Lord just started to challenge me to, to have new steps in my life. And I remember the first time I, I, I really became a good believer that I wanted to really be committed to the, to the word and to what God is saying and to obey what God is want, want to say to me. And I remember the first time I opened the, the gospel of Matthew and I'm reading the words in Matthew 5 speaking about love your enemy, pray for those who are persecuted for you. It was such a challenging word for me. And I, I go like, God, how you are asking me to love these people? And who do you think Palestinian would think of the enemy if somebody say enemy for a Palestinian? He would think of the Israelis, of course. And you know, the history we had in Palestine, I was thinking of how you are asking me to love those who bombed our places, how you are asking me to love those who come with the airstrike and air forces and just targeting people in Gaza. Like, are you really asking me to love them? And I felt the Lord is saying, like, really? This is what the text said. So I start saying to myself, well, because I'm a good Christian, I'm going to love them. And they're going to start, I start saying I love the Jewish. But the truth is, whenever I meet Jewish, whenever I meet anybody from them, I feel like oh, I really want to kick them out from the land. I don't want to see them. But at the same time, I love them because I'm a Christian. So once I tried to enter Israel without visa, I ended up arrested. I went to the jail. And I know when I went to the jail that according to the law, they will send me back to Gaza. So I was praying, God, don't just allow them to send me back to, to Gaza. Allow them, let them send me back somehow to the West Bank. I continued to pray. And as I'm praying, I felt the Lord is really saying to me, pray that you will really love them. So I start praying that I will love them, and I felt really something changed in my heart. And then I was waiting for the investigation room, and as I entered the investigation room, you know, I was expecting the Hollywood style of investigation. You know, you have the big light there, and this is a dark room. They're going to beat me up. It's going to be hard, and they're going to ask me to be a spy or something. So I was really praying that I wouldn't betray my people. I wouldn't be a spy. I wouldn't be bad for my nation. So this is what I was thinking of. And when I entered there, actually, the second question the guy asked me after my name is, was it, are you a believer? Are you Christian? I'm like, yes. Why are you asking this? He told me that he saw me praying outside. And the whole conversation that I had with this guy was about Jesus. Start having deep conversation with him about Jesus. And I still had very bad image about Israelis. So I told him, I know you are criminals, and you could kill me right now. But I, before you kill me, please, I want to make sure one thing that you believe in Jesus. Because if you kill me and I believe in Jesus, I know where I'm going, I'm going to heaven. But if, if something happened to me, what's going to happen to you if you die? Like, 
you don't know where are you going. This guy starts crying, actually. The officer, I'm, 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 I'm sharing with him. And I couldn't really continue with him because also I was afraid. He's an officer. I'm first time in jail. So, <laughs> actually, I, after a while, he told me that the people will take me back to the checkpoint. And I thought it, they're going to take me back to Gaza. But he said to, to Kalandia, which is in Ramallah, but I wanted to ask him, why not to Gaza? But I don't want to remind him to take me back to Gaza. So, <laughs> I remained silent. So why I'm sharing this story, actually, actually, this story, my testimony, and then this story changed my life and changed all my thinking and all of the conflict. Actually, before this, I used to look into the reality as one-sided reality, like just only Palestinian, the people who are suffering, only our people, the people who are suffering, who are facing injustice. And it's true that Palestinians are suffering. I mean, I'm su I suffer because of the occupation. I suffer because of Israel's existence and their security and everything. But it's not true that we are the only people who suffer. Actually, after the time I start, after the time of this experience, I, when I start really feeling love to my enemy, when I really start feeling love toward the Jewish and toward the Israelis, I start caring more for them. I, and honestly, I start even thinking of their security. For example, we have checkpoints that separated our areas in the West Bank from like when we when you go from Palestinian area to an area that has Palestinian and Jewish, you will have checkpoint. It's very hard. You have to stand in the line, and they have to check you, and it's really nasty and bad. I used to be very angry always because why they are here? It's like not good for my people. But now when I cross it, actually, I, I feel still bad. But at the same time, I think of that this thing could protect people's life because I know some of my people are going sometimes to to kill the other, stab them, bone them, whatever. So I start thinking of the other. So this has pushed me to start a real new project of reconciliation. And I thought like there is many reconciliation projects in Palestine. There is many people talking about peace, thousands of peace activists who are talking about peace. And I found that my people always speaking about how to demand from Israel things to do for us, how to really make them do things that will bring us fairness, that bring us justice always, and we are always demanding and demanding. And I think sometimes this is good because we need many things. We need more water, we need more freedom, we need access to travel, we need all of these things. We need at least to have connection between Gaza and the West Bank. We need all of these things. But I thought that nobody from the Palestinians are thinking of what the Israelis need from us in order to really offer us this thing. And I thought that the really, my, my conversation with Israel is the most thing that re really needed is security. And their security is not with the checkpoints and things like this. Their security with knowing that Palestinians are willing to accept them as a human who exists in this place. Actually, I recognize that Israelis only need from Palestinians to tell them, well, we accept your existence. We are not into dehumanizing you. We are not into asking for more terrorism or killing or attacking you. So now what I'm doing, I'm trying to really teach my people the other, peop the other perspective of the conflict, the Israeli perspective of the conflict, trying to teach them more about the Holocaust and the, the blade, the Holocaust, the rule, the Holocaust blade in the conflict and how in the existence of Israel. I'm trying to teach them of that. Also, Israelis have suffered from suicide bombers, and it's not okay to go and lob yourself in Israel or stab people, and that there is more nonviolent way to approach the beats, to, uh, the beats, and to approach the Palestinian demands, and this is what I'm doing. I'm doing now in in Palestine. So how I'm doing this? I'm doing it through different ways. 
first of all, we are starting leading a trips, educational trips for Palestinian youth, the college, college student into Israel. So actually, many of the Palestinians in the West Bank have never visited the beach even, even though the beach is like 13 minutes away from them, but because they need permit to get to Israel. So we help them to get permit. We help them to, to come to Israel to see the beach and to see these things, but not only the beach, but we help them to understand others more. Uh, for example, we take them to a restaurant in Haifa that was in 2002 blow, uh, destroyed by a Palestinian suicide bomber who went and killed a lot of civilians. And we just asked them hard the question, do you accept if you are here a Jewish person to come and blow up him, himself in you? We challenge them with this. I, I don't, we don't really achieve a lot, we, but at least we want to achieve that they will say we don't want to kill the Jewish or they, that they will say that the others' Palestinian killing of the Jewish is unjustifiable. So this is basically what I'm doing with the Peace Project, besides other things that I'm doing with the church. Actually, my church is kind of special in Ramallah because it's called Mosaic, and we, it's called Mosaic because we are very different, like from very different backgrounds. You know, you are talking in, in Palestine, Christians are less than 1%, and the 90-90% are Muslims. And the truth is the 1% of the Christian who are there, and they are, most of them are unwilling to work with the Muslims because most, most of the time they are afraid of persecution. Most of the time also they don't have enough love for, for the Muslims. And honestly, I grew up in, in a very Islamic society in Gaza, and I was persecuted by them. But when I became a believer, I felt the first people that God filled me with love toward, they were the Muslims. Because they are my friends, they are my neighbors, they are everything. So we felt that the church that God is calling us to serve more the Muslims. And since the time I came to the faith, I became more serious believer. I just felt that my, my main mission is to serve the Muslims, to share the gospel with the Muslims. And you can't believe how many amazing stories happening among the Muslims and how they became to know the Lord Jesus as Lord, as Savior in, in Ramallah and in, in our city. So I would like to maybe share one story of this. Um, there is my friend, I would use nickname for him, I would call him Muhammad, and he, it was five years ago when he started coming to our church because we offer an English course. So he just came to the English course, he started learning English, and it was the Christmas time. So one of the teachers told him, told him in English the Christmas story. So he, when he listened to the Christmas story, he recognized, okay, these guys are, are Christian. And he was very religious Muslim. So he went back to the mosque. He told the, the guy, I'm learning in a Christian. I want you to give me a very hard question to ask them in order to convert them to Islam. So he started coming week after week to convert us to Islam and asking more hard questions, the Trinity. Because, you know, Islam is very strongly monotheism and they think that we are believing in three gods. And he started asking hard questions about this. And then he started asking about, like, how God could have a son because they think it's a physical son. And he started asking us what he thought it's a challenging, uh, challenging questions. So we ended up just answering all his questions. So after a few months, he recognized like all what I thought Christian cannot answer are answered right now. He, so he found, myself, he found himself start reading the gospel. And as he start reading the gospel and comparing between Jesus' life and Jesus' morality and Jesus' way and personality and other prophets and other religions, he recognized that this is really different. There is such a thing that is unique in Jesus. So he was confused. He didn't like say, well, I will become a Christian because it's not easy for a Muslim to say, I'm going to leave my culture. I'm going to leave all of these things because it's a challenge. I, but he was very confused. 
So he went to his room and he was really confused and he started asking God, like, God, who you are? Like, really, he prayed the Muslim prayer, he bound down to the, to the ground, he had the Quran and the Bible next to each other, and he was very afraid because according to, to Islam, it's not allowed to have the Bible inside your room also. And he was looking at the Quran and the Bible and saying, God, who you are? If you are the God who sent us Muhammad, just like show me yourself. And if you are like such an illogical thing as Christian are saying, you, in, you became in Jesus, just show me yourself. And he, before he slept, he found that there is such a great light in the room. And he found just that Jesus is standing in front of him. And at the moment he saw Jesus, he felt scared, terrified, and he just recognized who Jesus was. And the second day he came to the church, he stood in front of everybody, and he declared that he's a Christian. This is, was five years ago. Now he's, just, he's finishing his studies in theology, and he's serving the Lord back home, and he's lead, he, he led another people. To, to faith. And this is one story. This is just one story from different people who came to the Lord from Muslim background. It's not easy. This guy have faced a lot of persecution. These guys have to come secretly to the church many many times. These guys it's hard it's hard for them to marry even a Christian guy, Christian girl or anything like this. It's very hard for them with their families. Their family if they know they will disown them and many times other Islamic organization could ask to kill them also. And they could be jailed. But yet they are counting this as nothing for Jesus, as Paul says. And they are just living the faith. And yeah, I'm happy to answer your questions. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to. First of all, let's give um, Khalil a quick hand. Um, he definitely has more to share. As you can tell, he has a lot to share already. I mean... Khalil has lived quite a life, but uh, we talked about making sure we get a pause halfway through just for people that process. There's a lot that has been said. Uh, some of you are familiar with the politics of the region. Others of you are not. That's fine. But that being said, who has some questions uh, for Khalil? We want to definitely give you a chance to ask him some questions and ask about anything. You get Nothing is off topic. Uh, for Khalil, and, and I feel like most Palestinians, you can ask them like anything and they'll have an answer for something. So yeah, yeah. Deborah. How does your family feel about you now? Yeah, actually, this is working, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually, actually my family disowned me when I was like jerk because in Palestinian society, it's not like really very acceptable to be drinking a lot and doing a lot of this immoral things. So. Uh, did this on me before I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I called my father and I'm like, Father, I just want to apologize for all the wrong things I've done to you. I'm sorry I became a Christian right now. And he go like, oh, this is a new lie to get more money for your drugs, Khalil. So he didn't believe me at the beginning. But after a while, I, I became like really a passionate Christian that will go to every shop in Ramallah and share with them about Christ and things. So somebody called my family and he told them, you're son became a crazy Jehovah Witness. So they thought, <laughs> they thought I became Jehovah Witness. Uh, but when they came to Ramallah for a visit, like for a one-week visit, they saw how my, my moral life changed, my personality changed and everything. My mother and father called me and they said, son, whatever, even if you are Jehovah Witness, stay like this, but don't go back as your previous life. <laughs> so we are in a good relationship right now. <laughs> okay, got it. Other questions? Any other questions? 
Don't be afraid. Yeah. Hello. Thank you for sharing. Um, so you said you you were born in a Christian family, too, and then you went to the West Bank and then had your, like, two-year immoral period. How did you how did you locate other Christians? You said other Christians um, uh, shared the gospel with you. Like, how easy is it to identify other Christians in the West Bank just because it's only 1%? Like, how... Like, what is it like in that community to locate, to find one another, to have communities, to have church, just like what that world is like? Yeah, actually, I have to differentiate first between West Bank and Gaza, because Gaza is more, in, as I said, the government is more Islamic, like more extremely Islamic, not just Islamic. While in the, in the West Bank, it's Islamic, but it's more kind of liberal Islamic. It's not like there is no really serious pressures on the, on the Christians. So in Gaza, there is a lot of persecution. In the West Bank, it's less. Still, there is always, like, you are because you are minority, of course, they will always have persecution and harder and hard, hard things, but it's not, like, serious that it, couldn't, it cannot reach the level of threat in your life, for example. I mean, it's, it's regular. There is a churches that are open. You can go to church. We know each other through the churches there. You are talking about 40,000 Christians who are separately in the different cities of the, those ones. It's just normal, but uh, it's more hard, as I said, for those who convert, convert from Islam to Christianity. This is a different subject. These people could really, their life, even in the West Bank, could be in danger. They cannot really say, well, I'm Christian. It's very dangerous for them. But for people in general, it's not really dangerous if your parents are Christian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is challenging. West Bank was the first place I went to ever where I was escorted by the army to travel around. So that's always interesting, going to the West Bank. But yeah. Um, Luz asked me to ask if, um, how can you love those who persecute you? And she said that she understands that it's God, but she wants to hear what you have to say to give. That's a great question. So yeah. the question, how to love this or persecuted you? Yeah, especially especially you and your whew, your situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually, first of all, I, I say that you have to pray a lot for it. This is very, very important because it's at the end, as you said, you answered already, it's just the grace of God that work in you, and this is very important. And second, always I try to put, to put myself in the shoe of the other. I mean... Uh, for for in uh, taking my example, the the situation of the Israelis Israeli Palestinian conflict, those who are persecuted me are Israelis. They persecute me through the security, the checkpoints that that limited my freedom too much. But yet at the same time they are limiting my freedom. But at the same time I know that they are doing this many times because of fear they have that my people would go and kill or stab or whatever. So I try to, to think more of other. I'm trying just to like, uh, when Jesus said like really to deny yourself, I'm trying to deny my, myself more in order to understand the other. I'm not saying it's easy. It's many times really very hard, but I'm trying to really understand the other, put myself in the, in, the, in the shoe of the other, as they say. And this is, I think, the main two things, just to pray about it a lot and try to to put yourself in the in the place of the other, so you can justify what he's doing. Uh, to it, hopefully, this is makes sense to you. Yeah, I 
I think one thing, Khalil, that I've noticed with your story and others who can love so radically across very difficult lines is many of you have gone to a crisis moment where you literally did not think you would live and you gave yourself fully to God. You know, you were saying you were in prison, uh, <laughs> arrested by the Israeli police, and you legitimately thought they might kill you, they might make you a spy, do these things, and you had surrendered your life completely to God and said, okay, God, just whatever, I will do what you want. And I feel like as I've gone to know people like you, people who love radically, they have that crisis moment where they surrender it all. And I think that's just transformative. And I feel like that in your journey, that was probably a transformative moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other, other story, other questions. Yeah. Um, I just had a quick question. So you meant this, the specific story that you mentioned, uh, the, the gentleman that it was your friend, uh, Muhammad, you said that he had kind of come to you asking a lot of questions that were challenging Christianity in his sense. I'm assuming based on you said you had a lot of stories, but like just in the a different context of someone who's not trying to kind of get in, they're not asking you questions. It, and what, what kinds of things have you asked um, Muslims in the sense that is, you know, sort of opens the door um, on your, it, with your initiative rather than their initiative? Yeah, it's actually just Muhammad's story is one of different stories, actually. Actually, it's reality that the two things that change the lives of the Muslims usually, in general, two things are, first of all, they see the love of the community itself, the love, this is first, and second is the dreams. Really, we've seen, like, most of the my, my MEB's friends, Muslim background believers' friends, most of them have witnessed Jesus, like, physically or either in vision or dream. I really, many times I tell them, guys, I'm jealous of you. i never seen <laughs> such a thing like this. And you always see it, like, whenever... Somebody came to me and he's not believer even. There is many unbelievers still that I'm working with them and Muslims who've seen Jesus physically. And I'm like, really, I'm jealous. So, and the first thing, as I said, love. Uh, we are always, our community, our church is always inviting people for dinner, for, uh, you know, in Ramadan, after the fasting, we do iftar, they come, they have food. And always, like, when somebody comes consistently to the church and, and into the community, after one month or two months, I've listened to it many times, the guys will ask, really, ask us the question, like, guys, what is making you united? What makes you really love? And it reminds me of the verse Jesus said that they will know you from your love to each other. So this is the most really significant thing, that they will see your love. They will see your, your testimony. It's not just the words you are saying, but it's something in the community, something in your life that will attract them to them. And they will ask the questions. This is more of, of, of a lifestyle thing that they will see it in you. And of course, there is more, more the other questions that it, it's more of theological, philosophical question that Muslims will ask, such as Trinity, as I said, and crucifixion, and all of these questions that will come after this. But before this, I think relationship and trust are very, very important. Because if I discuss the crucifixion with any Muslim in the street, he will be very angry because according to his theology, Jesus was never crucified. But if I, if I discuss it, the crucifixion with somebody, with a Muslim who is really my friend, it doesn't matter for him, whatever I'm telling him, he will tell me, Khalil, first of all, you are my friend, I love you, even though whatever you say, I will keep loving you. And I've experienced this with Muslims who are not my friend, I've seen how 
gets angry and with Muslims who are my friends, who trust me really that I love them, who really accept it and mm. think of everything that I'm sharing them because they trust me first. So relationship and love is very important. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Other questions, yeah. Um, how does or does the fact that Jesus was Jewish and a lot of things that we believe as Christians stem from Jewish tradition affect the conversations you have with Israelis or with Palestinians? Yeah, great question. Is, yeah, really great questions. Actually, I, as I said, when I start loving the Jewish, I felt like I really wanted to share the gospel with the Jewish because I felt these guys also need Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I know how to share the gospel with the Muslims. I, I've read the Quran since my childhood. And when I shared the gospel with the Muslims, I caught Quran sometimes. And when I became aware more of the of the, the really loving the Jewish, it's the first time I'm saying to them, I got to, to the Tanakh, to the Old Testament, I just quoted like Isaiah 53, and I asked them, guys, what do you think this is talk talking about? Or I talked to them from the Proverbs that says, if your, your enemy gets uh, hungry or thirsty, just give him food. And they go, you know that I'm the enemy, I'm Palestinian, so you should love me in this way if you are really Jewish. And from here, I started <laughs> telling them the story of Jesus. And the, the truth is, even the scripture referred to Jesus as rabbi. He's Lord, and this mean, means rabbi in, in Hebrew. And So you tell them about the, the Jewish Messiah who came first for the Jewish and then to the Gentiles. So I think it's good to always, like, when you share the gospel to the Jewish, to just refer to, to Jesus as, the, as a Jewish person who came to fulfill the prophecy the prophecies and the law not to deny it. With the Palestinian side, it's a little different because they have very sensitivity to the Jewish uh, identity because they connected Jewish with Israel and they have, as I said, dramatically and trauma from experiences they've had with Israel. And this is what I hope that they could really uh, get over it. This is my work. I want them to really separate between really their what happened to them and the whole things because generalization are always mm. not not good generalization usually lead to de dehumanization and this is what lead to genocide or hating the other like we've seen in the holocaust we've seen in the history of europe and the history of other places so i'm, I'm very careful with them to not try so i don't try to deny jewish the jewish identity of jesus rather i prefer to to really explain it more and explain that Jewish doesn't mean bad. And this is the opposite of what sadly other Palestinian Christian trying to avoid this, avoid yeah. that Jesus was a Jewish. Yeah, wow, that's good, that's good. Anybody else? We probably have time for just one more question. Yeah, Anna. Yeah. Um, so when you're speaking, I was actually just thinking how like uh, other Palestinians might accuse you of being a traitor to your own people, and I ask, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it feels, Great question. Yeah, first of all, it feels very bad when people tell me this. Uh, there is nothing sh more shameful in our society than being a traitor. Like, really, this is the worst thing ever that uh, you could be accused of, and I've been accused of it <laughs> many times, sadly. It, it feels very bad. Many times I try to explain for them, like, guys, come on, like, let's really argue about it. Let's discuss it and see if I'm a traitor or not. I'm trying to really bring more hope and bring more really prosperity to the Palestinians before anything else. Because first of all, I have great love to the Palestinians before even I have great love to the Israelis. And I try to explain them that what we are, what the political system is doing or what 
the normal approach is doing doing is not really helpful, but instead the, the way of nonviolent and the way of love is what is beneficial for Palestinians. And many times people listen, people got really uh, con convinced of what you say, and many times they, they don't listen. So I've learned many times to ignore what they say and just continue to walk. Because if I, if I believe this is what God is calling me for, if I believe this is what the, the right thing to do, I gotta, I gotta be, I gonna do what I have to do, and uh, I don't have to really pay attention to everything they are saying. Yeah. But it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I wish we could keep going, Khalil. It's, it is always exciting to just listen to you share your story and hear you talk uh, again. I remember the first time in Bethlehem hearing it, and I was like, wow, God is definitely with you. Um, but we do have to wrap things up here. We have to wrap it up for two reasons. Uh, number one, uh, we just want to be respectful of your time here. But also, number two, Khalil actually has to go and get in an Uber car and go to another faith community to share his story. He's literally here for seven days. This is his first time in the States. He's going down to DC and Houston as well within these seven days. Uh, so you can imagine he's uh, just having a very busy moment. Uh, but uh, Khalil will be back uh, definitely in the US multiple times this year. He's working with an organization that um, brought me to um, the area and this organization is based out in New York City. And so he'll be back in our region for a, a few more times. And so you'll, you'll definitely be able to hear from him. But also, I'm going to introduce you all on Facebook to him. And he's already agreed with me that he will all friend you if you have Facebook. <laughs> if you don't have Facebook, we'll give his email address. And you can email him. And uh, trust me, Khalil is a very personal, personal person. Why don't we give Khalil a hand? Can we give Khalil a hand for being here? Thank you. All right, yeah. Okay. Um, it's, okay. I will answer it. So okay, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's more difficult for girls in general in all the Middle East, not just for Palestinian Christian. Uh, okay, yeah. but it's uh, I can say it's more easy for Palestinian Christian the girls, but it's more difficult for MBBs, those girls who convert from Islam. For example, we have a couple of girls. We have one girl that she's not allowed since few months to leave her house because her father is Imam, and he recognized that she convert to wow. Christianity, and he actually tried to burn her up, burn her up by putting gas on her and tried to just to. To, to let her say where is the church and who is the secret uh, community she's meeting the, with, and she refused. But for Christians who are originally Christians, it's much easier than Egypt. I know the situation in Egypt is way, way worse yeah. than in yeah. Palestine. Yeah. So what we're going to do, um, uh, I'm going to just say a prayer for Khalil and all the work he's doing in Palestine. He's, he's only scratched the surface on what he does. There's a lot that he does in his community. God, we thank you for this special opportunity to hear from Khalil. We thank you that you've protected him on this very unique journey. It is hard for a Palestinian to get here in the States and then go back. We know this is very special for us. And so, God, we thank you for blessing us. But more importantly, we thank you for blessing Khalil, for giving him 
your love and your life and giving him your gifts of ministry, your gifts of purpose and hope and a future. God, we ask that you would fill him, Holy Spirit, with your power, with your love, to continue to bring peace and bring your kingdom into his region. Would you make all things new, Jesus, in Israel and Palestine through Khalil? Protect him as he goes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosnb.com.